Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 13 through 16. We'll read here in a moment. Well, it it seems like it's always political season, but we know that it's ramping up a little bit here because, you know, midterms and all that stuff is coming. And there's nothing that goes together better in these seasons than politicians and baby kissing. Uh, The Atlantic... Uh, had an article and asked this question, why do parents hand their babies to politicians? And it tells this story in history. It says, while vying for the presidency, Andrew Jackson, that's not Andrew Jackson up there, by the way, once visited a town where, according to a campaign tale, a proud mother handed a dirty-faced baby up for him to hold. He says this, here is a beautiful specimen of young American childhood, said Jackson, Note the brightness of that eye, the great strength of those limbs, and the sweetness of those lips. And then he handed the baby to his friend, John Eaton, who was the Secretary of War, and he said, kiss him, Eaton. (laughs) So Jackson walked away after that, and this supposedly was the first documented instance of a politician being handed a baby to kiss. I suspect the article says the practice dates even further than that. What is certain is that it, was, it has happened enough in the years since that it's now cliche. Life magazine explained the phenomenon in a July 4th, 1960 issue where it said, there is only one excuse for baby kissing. It works. <laughs> the aim, whether the pol- pol- politician is a machine-backed hack or a machine-bucking amateur, it, it is to win the votes. And so it goes today, it works to hold babies, so politicians regularly do it, and who can blame them for fulfilling their role? Now, I certainly could think of a hundred other things that I'd like to do in a moment of meeting a president and then handing them my, my infant child. Maybe you were handed it to some politician. Maybe you handed your child to a politician. There's no, no stones here. It's just weird. But I get it, it's likely the energy of that moment, right? You're caught up in sort of the celebrity starstruck and you want this child to kind of encounter and be blessed. And though some politicians may embrace children and dish out these hugs and kisses for self-centered gain, we're going to come to our text today and we see a moment when Jesus encounters children, parents that are bringing their children to Jesus, but what he does is far from some weird, self-centered political messaging. Jesus actually does something very countercultural in this moment. And it is to display his profound and powerful love for children and also to teach his disciples by these children a deep and necessary truth about his kingdom. And so let us look at our text and then we are going to pray, beginning at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when he saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. This is God's word. Well, Lord, we, we come today aware that, uh, Lord, we, we, can, we can lack 
perspective of your kingdom like these disciples in so many different ways. And so we come humbly and we come as learners this morning uh, to your word. And, and we ask that our hearts, Lord, be, would be open to be taught by you today, Jesus. Um, that we would hear from you by your spirit on what it means to be your disciple and to love children, Lord, and to come into your kingdom like a child. So uh, speak to our hearts, guide us by your spirit. Amen. Amen. Now we are in the section in Mark where Jesus is repeating this refrain about his plan, his appointed purpose, gospel purpose, to suffer, to die, and to rise. And he's teaching his disciples about what it means to be a disciple as well. And there's embedded in this section all of these lessons around discipleship. And he's dressing these different categories, discipleship and humility, being a disciple and how we relate to others, being a disciple in our own hearts, our, our indwelling sin, our fight <coughs> excuse me, against sin. Disciples in marriage, as we saw last week. Disciples and children and the family, as we're going to see today. And then discipleship and money, as we're going to look at next week. And if you recall, back in chapter 9, Jesus teaches the disciples about what, what this humility, what true greatness means. The, the posture of the disciples as servants, clothing humility. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so this, this upside down of God's kingdom is framing all of these, these teachings. The last is going to be first. To lose your life, you will gain it. And he shows us how to serve, and he also teaches us who we are to serve. And it involves children. And one story where he, they, they were like in a living room or hanging out in somebody's house. Imagine community group kids are running around everywhere. And he grabbed one of the children and pulled him in. And he said in verse 37, Whoever receives one such child in my name, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And so he is saying to his disciples to receive and serve those children, those little ones who have little to no status in power, the least among them, to serve them is to serve Jesus, to serve Jesus is to serve God. And so now we come to another story about children. And so just a reminder, in considering what children were viewed like in this, this culture, in this context, again, they had no status, uh, very little status, very little power. If, for the Roman culture, um, if you didn't want, there was an unwanted child, they could be abandoned. They would find children just thrown in trash heaps or sold into slavery. In the Jewish culture, a greater value of children, so Abortion and infanticide was prohibited, yet the value of children, their esteem, was in relationship to their productivity. So as they come of age and they can actually help and do things and contribute to society, then they were um, held in esteem. So they were vulnerable, they were needy, they were dependent. Now, of course, parents love children. Um, some did. I mean, this is exampled by parents in this text, right? They're bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus, but Jesus is increasing and reshaping our vision and our values according to his values and what he sees as proper and a good design. We spent two weeks looking at his high bar and value of marriage, and now he's bringing into picture the high value and high bar of valuing children. The culture cannot set the standard. Our culture cannot set 
the standard of the valuing of children. And if you even think for a moment just the way Jesus is being drawn drawn attention to children throughout Mark, Jairus' little girl being raised from the dead, Jesus healing the unclean Syrophoenician woman's daughter, delivering a demon-possessed boy, this father's boy. We don't see the detail in Mark, but we know that that from other gospel accounts, it was a little boy who offered his fish and loaves to Jesus' multiplication to the, to the people. And so in a culture that's misguided about children, Jesus guides us into seeing the love that we should have for them. So here we are, this text. Imagine, I'm, I'm not sure if we're still like in a home, a living room, like we saw at the end of our last passage, the disciples talking about marriage and divorce and um, and, but maybe we're in the crowd again and parents are bringing, moms and dads are bringing their children to be handed off and blessed by Jesus. This laying on of hands, this is an act that would be a common Jewish practice. There's nothing weird going on here. It's a source of communication of blessing upon those children. I mean, this is famous Jesus. I mean, this is the one full of power, the, the miracle worker, People have known what Jesus is doing. I mean, who wouldn't want to bring their child to Jesus to be blessed by him? I mean, I want my kids blessed by Jesus. Who wouldn't want this to happen? Well, we should have guessed. The disciples didn't want it to happen. (laughs) The good old disciples, the mighty 12, who should have been cluing in by now. And they are the ones rebuking the parents and the children to stay away from Jesus. Don't come near Jesus. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Well, when Jesus saw what the disciples were doing, it says that that he was indignant. Now, we've seen anger in Jesus before. Back in chapter 3, the religious were testing Jesus, and there was a man with a withered hand that came to be healed, and and he was angered at their hardness of heart because they... They'd rather follow the religious rules than actually see Jesus heal this man. But this passage here, this word, he was indignant. This is the, in all of the Gospels, the only phrase like this, that he was indignant. And it's such an intense word. Like he was aroused to anger, like red-faced upset. Now, I don't know what that sounded like for Jesus to respond to them, Uh, but uh, maybe use your imagination of what that looked like. But why would they stop these children and parents from coming? They think Jesus was too busy. Uh, Jesus' ministry was kind of a big deal, and maybe he didn't have time for these distractions. Um, Jesus needed to be focused on the important people, maybe the important matters, the important ministry, the important tasks, the important goals, and we don't have time for kids. Remember kind of floating in the background is this argument about greatness. The disciples were arguing with one another who was the greatest, and they're bumbling around about that. And, and Jesus comes in and, again, is, is flipping things on their head, rebuking them because they, they have their standards wrong, who they esteemed and who they valued. And Jesus loves children. It, that, that simple and profound song, that childhood song that communicates that you know, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What a song. Little ones to him belong. And so with that in view, Jesus reshaping the perspective, he illustrates two things for us and teaches two things through these commands. Bring children to Jesus. Bring them to him. And come childlike to him. So to be disciples of Jesus requires us to welcome children to Jesus and it requires us to come childlike to Jesus. So let's look at both of these. Verse 14, bring the children to him. Um, let the children come to me, he tells them in his indignant, hot anger. Uh, use your imagination with that. I just, I, it, it would be overwhelming. The one who perfectly embodies emotion communicated his truth to those disciples now, the, the Greek word here for child means a very young child, so very little one. So don't think like teens. Uh, this is like infants. This is uh, toddlers, preschools, and, and, uh, kids. So very young. Keep that in mind. And there's two parts. He says, let them come to me. And then secondly, do not hinder them. So let's consider this latter one. Do not hinder. He says explicitly, do not hinder children from coming to me. So the question is, how do we hinder children coming to Jesus? What, how, do, how do we as adults make it difficult, put blockages and walls, and hinder children's access to experiencing Jesus? Well, for starters, like the disciples, it's possible we can believe that they are not worthy of his time. So we hinder by neglect. So there are more important things to be done. So Jesus is too busy, or we are too busy. And yet the issue here is Jesus isn't too busy. They were too busy. I, I get too busy. I get too busy. I get too busy about Nate's world. I get too busy about my time and my, my jobs and my responsibilities and my projects, or maybe my phone that happened this week in the, in the kitchen with one of my kids and telling a story, and somehow slowly my phone became kind of the point of my attention. I got caught up in that, and I, I neglected a moment where there was a treasure before me, and I was distracted. So we hinder by neglect. Um, maybe the hindering is that we think Christian things or faith things are, are too lofty for, for kids. Like this is adult stuff that we're talking about, and how do they, they get that? So we err by not communicating because we feel like there's, there's enough substance for them to be offered truth that they can grasp. Another way that could be hindering is, is we stack on laws and rules that kids can't bear up under. So our adjustments and correction of our child's behavior and attitudes is important but if they have to live up under certain standards of perfectionism and rules that go beyond what God would call, it would be crushing for them. I was talking with a, a couple dads this week, just drawing them out on that question. Like, what, what do we do that hinders kids coming to them? And one of them just insightfully said, our, our fault finding. Our fault finding. Like, like the Pharisees of this day, that the burdens they kept placing on people that they couldn't bear up on them rather than offering grace in Jesus. 
we are more like our young children and teens and everywhere in between than we are not like them. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And that's what we hold out to our children. We both need Jesus. And if we don't, it's just going to be a do as I say, not as I do. And, and then we raise little hypocrites. And that only makes hard hearts rather than ones who know the gospel. And I, and I think we could draw attention to what we learned a couple weeks ago in chapter 9 where there was a warning, a stern warning from Jesus that whoever causes little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for them to have a millstone put around their neck and them thrown into the sea. A scary warning. Now, the little ones in that is speaking not just of children, but more broadly of young Christians, the vulnerable, the weak. But it's a warning for us. Like, what am I doing that would lead a child astray versus communicating and the, their need for Jesus and my need for Jesus and helping them see that? So we don't hinder. Jesus' charge, don't hinder. But positively, bring them. Jesus says, Bring them. So the opposite of hindering is to welcome, to invite, to encourage them into Jesus. Make space for our kids to know and experience the Savior. So how do we bring them in to know Jesus? Well, I think most ways and many ways, it's usually embedded in just the mundane of our life. I, I love the way that Deuteronomy chapter 6 captures this. this is the, the command of the Old Testament that would frame every Jewish family that would, that would know. They would hear these. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. So it begins with us parents. It must be upon our hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So help your kids hear about the God of the Bible, about Jesus in the regular rhythms of the day. When you're sitting around your house, when you're going to bed, when you're in the car on the way, I mean, it's so beautiful. Just everyday life, we can make those connections. And we believe that the main discipleship, discipling agents of our children are you, you parents. Um, not primarily here on a Sunday, but I'll mention that in a moment, but it is you at home. The many hours, the many days, the many minutes when you have proximity to your child and that is the place of your little church at home. And you get to gospel as you go. And for, for those of you who have little kids, it, this is a season of sowing. It is a sowing time. You sow seeds, sow seeds, sow seeds. Sometimes it feels like I'm reaping very little. But God will promise to bring that as we sow faithfully. So how do we bring our kids to Jesus each day as you go in the regular rhythms of life? We make connections for our kids. These, these many daily prompts the Spirit provides for us to connect our kids' hearts to them, to him. It could be the night we had the storm the other day. I was talking to a dad, and one of their kids was just freaking out about uh, the storm. And they were so scared. And he was able to just bring his kid to a story of Jesus, and he calmed the storm. And uh, it was a gospel moment that was present because of a storm. Angry outbursts of your own. Am I, I guess I'm the only dad that has an angry outburst. <laughs> Spilt milk at dinner. How do I consider the sovereignty of God in the moment of a glass of spilt milk at dinner? 
That's a moment. That's a gospel moment, church. Gospel moment for our own heart, for them, to talk about Jesus, to think about Jesus, to pray to Jesus, to draw attention to his grace, how big a savior we serve and how they were made for him. Those are moments. Those are those moments. So home and then also here on a Sunday as a church, we take it a, a responsibility for us to communicate the good gospel to our kids. We aim, to, we aim to bring them to Jesus each and every Sunday. So they worship with us, the older kids, and then they go to classes to hear an age-appropriate lesson about Christ and the Word. We want to tell them the whole counsel of God's Word, how every story connects to Jesus. And so many of you are in here, our volunteers, and all our volunteers that are out there serving now, the time that you guys take to prepare, to pray, to work on illustrations and projects and to, to serve our kids and activities to teach them about Jesus. But I thank God for you. We thank God for you. The way you are bringing every Sunday our kids to Jesus. It is a gift and we are grateful for you. So thank you to every one of you who serve faithfully our kids. Now, some of you for decades have been doing that faithfully. Empty nester, kids out of the house, and you're there bringing our kids to Jesus. So thank you for that. Uh, would you be sure you share that when you pick up your kids today? Just look at that volunteer in the eyes and say, thank you for bringing my kid to Jesus. We're grateful for you. We're, we're so thankful for you. As well, though we're taking a break this summer for some of our grades, everything's going to have to restart in the fall. And so if you are not serving... <laughs> Now is an opportunity for you to talk to Jackie Tessing, and, uh, and um, we need you. So, a little plug there for you. <laughs> so we want all our children to be exposed to the gospel, brought to Jesus every Sunday. We, our goal, by the time they graduate from Cross of Grace Kids, that they have been, heard the gospel many, many times. They, have, they know their position before Jesus and that they need to respond to the gospel we want to assist parents by leading their children to by Jesus, by providing material. And we want to be a community that serves and helps together. We don't do this isolated. We do this as a church. And so, uh, praise the Lord. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It's a little bit longer, but, it, but it's so good. He says this, Some, too, have hindered the ch children because they have been forgetful of the child's value. The soul's price does not depend upon its years Oh, it is only a child. Children are a nuisance. Children are always getting in the way. This is common talk. God forgive those who despise the little ones. Will you be very angry if I say that a boy is more worth saving than a man? Is it infinite mercy on God's part to save those who are 70? For what good can they now do with the end of their lives? When you get to 50 or 60, we are almost worn out. And if we have spent all our early days with the devil, what remains for God? But these dear boys and girls, there is something to be made out of them. If now they yield themselves to Christ, they may have a long, happy, and holy day before them in which they may serve God with all their hearts. Who knows what glory God may have of them? Heathen hands may call them blessed. Whole nations may be enlightened by them. If a famous schoolmaster was accustomed to take his hat off to his boys because he did not know whether one of them might be a prime minister, we may justly look upon converted children, for we do not know how soon they be, may be among angels or how greatly their light 
may shine among men. Let us esteem children at their true valuation, and we shall not keep them back, but we shall be eager to lead them to Jesus at once. So we want to see 60 and 7 year olds come to Jesus. We do want that, but we do want to estimate children at their great value. And we want to be eager to lead them to Jesus, eager to let them come to Jesus at once. So what a privilege, for such belongs the kingdom of God. They belong there. We want to be eager to bring them there. So what a, what a great privilege and responsibility church we have and families you have. So bring children to Jesus. Secondly, come childlike to him, verse 15. Now it's interesting the way that these work together. Let the children come. Do not hinder them coming to me. And now Jesus says, you must receive and enter the kingdom as a child or you will be hindered to coming to me. Meaning, if you don't get this child kingdom thing, you will not only hinder kids coming to Jesus, you yourself will be hindered from coming to Jesus. So it's written in the negative. You could, we could read this positively. Truly I say to you, whoever receives the kingdom of God like a child shall enter it. So come as a child. As a child could be read or receive as a child receives. So how does a child receive? What is Jesus wanting us to be like as a child? Well, Jesus is not calling us to be childish, right? This isn't a call for us to be immature or small thinking. And Jesus isn't holding up children as mighty examples of purity or innocence, If any of you have a three- or four-year-old, you know they are not innocent. They're not innocent. They are are far from the most humble beings on the planet as well. If it were innocence or purity or some virtues, then the disciples would have to obtain those things to enter into his kingdom. And that's not what Jesus is doing. Somehow we make ourselves acceptable by our virtues. So, So what is it? Well, remember the word for childhood is very young child. So I believe what Jesus is impressing on us, this childlike, is a picture of of neediness, their absolute helplessness. That is the state we come into his kingdom. James Edward helps us as he writes, like the disciples in Mark, he says, we are not innocent and eager, but slow, disbelieving, and cowardly. In this story, children are not blessed for their virtues, but for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and the dispossessed of society. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A A little child has absolutely nothing to bring, and whatever a child receives he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit inherit to him or herself. Wow. Neediness. Dependence. It is this receiving and entering into God's kingdom that Jesus captures for us in the very beginning of his ministry. I think we can see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He came preaching the gospel, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near. How do we respond when the kingdom is near? Repent and believe 
in the gospel. To turn from and to turn to. To repent and to believe. So like a child, what we get is by sheer grace and how we receive it is an open-handed neediness. A turning from all of our ways and a turning to him in faith. An absolute trust in who he is and not who we are. His kingdom, not our kingdom. We, we, we don't have a kingdom. It's all his reign and his rule. His kingdom is not a place, a physical location, but it's a, an entering into a sphere, a space, a place of God's salvation and his rule over our hearts and over our life. And we see Jesus' kingdom breaking in as he's forgiving and healing and saving. And so we come needy. We come dependent. So I think this text, verse, chapter 1, verse 15, captures for us these, this move of our neediness. So we're awakened to our helplessness and become dependent and fully trusting. So let's consider that. You must come needy. The only way we enter his kingdom is to realize our absolute neediness. Consider this sort of the repentance side. We are bankrupt. We are, our lostness is through and through. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead, helpless. And we don't come offering our own values or virtues. We come with all he has to offer, the novel we have to offer. So we recognize, we confess our helpless state, and we turn to Jesus. We turn from ourself to the totality of who he is, because we've all fallen short of his glory. And so, out of the posture of our receiving, our bowing, we place all our hope on him. So like a child, we come needy, and we also come dependent. So Jesus doesn't leave us needy, He comes providing all that we need. Not what we do, all that he does. And so we trust in all his provision. This is the the believe, this is the trust side of thing. We cast ourselves fully on his complete provision. You see, the Pharisees were thinking that they had righteousness in themselves that made them acceptable to God's kingdom. And yet Jesus' disciples don't possess anything in themselves. It's alien to us that God contributes to us. Considering as I was thinking about children and preparing and the Lord bless all of you parents who have tiny little infants at the moment, the newborn stage is hard, particularly for moms. Waking up in the middle of the night, children crying out hungry. But those, that's all those babies can do is cry out for help, cry out for food. They can't yet crawl out of the crib. That will add a whole new dimension to your neediness. 3 a.m., coming inside right there next to your bed. I love my mom, but I didn't go to my mom in those moments. She, she did like the kind of rise from the dead after hearing a foghorn sort of moment, you know? you know. Like scared the crap out of me. She was scared. My dad was much more subtle. That's where I went. Just kind of woke up. But that baby is helpless in that crib, crying out. Their trusting independence is 100% on the care of that parent and provision. 
clothes, food, diaper changing, shelter, medicine, 24-7. Absolutely dependent. Absolutely needy. This is us. We, we come to Jesus absolutely needy, absolutely dependent, and we, we turn from ourself and we place our trust in him. And this is grace. We gotta see the grace in that. Grace comes to us in the person of Jesus. He's saying it's all, it's all me and receive all that I have for you. Pride will hinder us. Pride will make us think we can somehow slip and contribute in and contribute something to that reality. Yet we come needy and dependent, fully and completely upon him. And this is his gospel message. It exposes our complete inability and his powerful provision. And it reveals Jesus as the pathway for that. Notice what he says. He's sitting there saying, you must come to me to enter into my kingdom. This reveals the power and glory of Jesus. To come to him is to come to the kingdom of God, the sovereign son of God. He is the pathway into his kingdom. So reminder, saints, things that we forget, that we neglect. What can you or I bring? How do we receive and enter into his kingdom? Well, it makes me think of Augustus Toplady's hymn that we sing, Rock of Ages. This line, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Like children, this is how we come to his kingdom. Clinging to Christ, clinging to his full provision in his cross for us. Nothing. So this is what it means to receive the kingdom and therefore enter. We bring nothing. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And when we receive Christ, we enter into his kingdom by grace. And that is how we are saved and kept. And I love this way it beautifully circles back to verse in verse 16. All the shushing and rebuking of the disciples. Jesus doesn't forget about the kids in the midst of his teaching. He doesn't neglect to do what the parents came and asked them to do in the beginning, to experience his blessing, to experience his love. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus pulled those, pulls those kids in, and he loves them. He pours his, this is like a picture of affection, just his loving kindness around those children. Saints, we don't receive and enter his kingdom by us getting all grown up and getting all mature and tidy. We receive it needy and broken and strugglers. Our struggles and our weakness and our brokenness is the actual thing that compels us to move towards his affection, not push away from his affection. And what we desperately need is Jesus. And when we do move towards Jesus, we come into his love, his loving, his, his loving embrace and care. One of my, my all-time favorite books, not just as a, as a parent, but as a disciple of Jesus, because I've, I've been taught by it, is a storybook Bible for kids. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have that, I encourage you to, to grab one. 
But I thought an appropriate way for us to end today is read a portion from the Jesus Storybook Bible, not only to get our heart for kids, but also to get our heart right childlike before the Lord to know and love him. And so this is the story that we just read from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And of course, it starts out the disciples arguing about who's best and who's the greatest. And then next thing you know, they're blocking. No, don't come to Jesus. And uh, this is what it says. Jesus helpers tried to send them away. Jesus doesn't have time for you. They said, he's too tired. But they were wrong. Jesus always had time for children. Don't ever send them away, Jesus said. Bring the little ones to me. Now, if you had been there, what do you think? Would you have to had to line up quietly to see Jesus? Or do you think Jesus would have asked you how good you've been before he'd give you a hug? Or would you have been on your best behavior and got all dressed up and speak until you're spoken to? Or would you have just done what the children did? Run straight up to Jesus and let him pick you up in his arms and swing you and kiss you and hug you and then sit you on his lap and listen to your stories and your chats. You see, children love Jesus. And they knew they didn't need to do anything special for Jesus to love them. All they needed to do was run into his arms. And so that's just what they did. Well, after all the laughing and the games, Jesus turned to his helpers and said, no matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart full of trust in God. Be like these little children. They are the most important in my kingdom. So let's come into his love, church. Let's, let's come into his love. You're welcome. Our struggle and our neediness is an opportunity to experience his affection, not to keep you from it. And so we don't come except for just knowing that we need him and we put our hope and trust fully on him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us the priority as a church and as parents towards our kids. You love children, Lord, and we, we want to love them well. And, but I just I pray a special uh, or especially for our parents, that maybe there's just hitting a season where it's hard, um, where it's been difficult and challenging and wearying. Um, Lord, would you wish supply strength? Parenting is a hard task. It, it takes courage, and um, Lord, parents need your power and your help. And so would you give them faith today, strength, a renewed intentionality and hope that what they're sowing to, they're laboring to, to help not hinder their children coming to you, but help their children come to you. Just help them bring their children to you. Um, and Lord, that, that we don't bring children to you in our perfection. <laughs> we, we sometimes expose our imperfection and that's a, that's a little sermon. That's a testimony to our need for Jesus and what they need in Jesus. So um, strengthen weary parents, give fresh faith to parents. And Lord, help our hearts as well, Lord, to be reminded of the neediness and dependence that is required for us to come to you. Um, we don't mature out of that, Lord. Um, help us to mature into that as we...
depend and trust on you more and more. And in that, we get the, the beauty of your affection and your love. Amen. Amen.